Welcome to the Naked Ear Podcast. This podcast aims to bridge a gap between artist and listener. We'll be discussing some of the hottest topics in the music industry today, featuring conversations with music producers, musicians, songwriters, and normal everyday people. You'll get a better understanding of how people hear music differently and how it connects us all. So, whether you're an average Joe or an industry pro, join us as we aim to train the naked ear. You don't pay me no mind when I'm naked Standing here before her in the flesh She don't pay me no mind when I'm charming Not a spark or a smirk on her lips She doesn't bother with her man when he's singing We're working or we need the rest I would guess Every man who has held her Has got the same song floating from his chest If I'm pulling up weeds or hitching fences Must be expected Or my work's just that unimpressive One might think she don't notice me at all But she always catches me when I'm doing something wrong Yeah, she always catches me Said she's had my number all along Well, that amazing song that we just heard was by Adam Fitz and Adam Fitz is releasing a self-titled album for the first time. Adam, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing great, Nick. How are you, man? I'm really good. It's uh, it's good to talk to you. You're you're really somebody that uh, I was happy to meet. I think I did a show at uh, in Westmoreland County last year, and uh, you did a really great outdoor concert series, and it was like super awesome to be able to like play a show during a pandemic. So uh, super grateful for you for that, and that that was really sweet but you know tell me a little bit about how like you got there to greensburg because i know you're originally from what chicago yeah man i appreciate you coming out to greensburg and uh and doing that concert it was a good time for sure we had some, yeah. a lot of people out there um so yeah i'm originally from chicago born and raised on the south side of chicago and uh in uh the mid-2000s i met a girl who was from westmoreland county and then in 2016 we ended up here in greensburg Always the woman, right? Always the relationship that brings you somewhere. That's awesome. So, uh, and you and you have a couple kids now, right? Yep, so eight and five. Wow, that's how is that? How is it to juggle the job, the music, the 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 record collection? Because you, there's a very elusive record collection behind you that we're going to talk about in a minute. Tell me, <laughs> tell me what, tell me what a normal day's like. Um, you know, um, it's a trip being a parent. It's like it's a it's the most polarizing feeling I've ever had where um, all I want to do is treasure every second. And some days all I want to do is have the day end and I want to spend every <laughs> second with my kids and I want every second to be alone. So it's a, it's really, um, it's a trip. But one, one thing that it, it has done having kids has helped me kind of focus on um, just like my intention a little bit more, like, you know, writing and recording music and and i go out and i play gigs in the bars um you know doing three hour 
monster sets of covers. Um, and uh, it's uh, having kids has made me be more purposeful about uh, just creation and, and also like have a mindset around legacy. You know, this, the self-titled record will be my third full length. Um, and, uh, you know, actually that record was recorded mostly in Chicago. Um, so that the songs that they were all tracked a good bit ago. Um, and a lot of them were written or some of them were written right when my daughter was being born in, in her uh, very first year or two. So, um, you know, it's been inspirational to have kids and also, you know, being here in, in Greensburg, um, having the kids has given, you know, I, I recently started working for an arts nonprofit. So having the, the mission of trying to um, have a hand in uh, contributing to the art scene here in, in Westmoreland County and in Greensburg with the, with the mindset of uh, wanting it to be a place that my kids are excited to be from or don't feel like they have to run away from. And there was a lot of stuff happening long before me. And um, there's a lot of people doing amazing things here, but I'm excited that I just kind of get to, uh, I get to help in that, uh, in that mission out here. You're doing a really great job with that. Just as somebody who's from a, a bigger city in Pittsburgh, coming to a place like that, I, I can just already see your, you know, kind of print. And I love following your Instagram because you write little uh, like haiku poems. Um, yeah. And, and but the pictures are great and it's just, I feel like I'm seeing who you are, you know, and uh, that that's really something that resonates with, you know, people that I look up to as artists and, you know, Greensburg's a great musical landscape. It's just amazing how many musicians are there and just creative people. And it makes me wonder if since the pace of life is a little bit slower, like people have more time to do, like, I mean, obviously being from Chicago, how has that been for you to just move to like a smaller rural american town like i love it I, man i love it and honestly like if for the first like in 2017 18 and the beginning of 2019 i actually worked in pittsburgh i was a, a kindergarten teacher in uh, just outside of east liberty in lincoln larmer and uh and so i had this uh, you know i was drawn to pittsburgh obviously being from chicago i, I love that feeling um the urban the energy the people um so that was, um, that was amazing. And even, you know, in Pittsburgh's like about a sixth the size of Chicago. So, um, you know, I love the idea that like Pittsburgh is an amazing city with tons of awesome people. And every time I feel like everybody must know everybody, I realize that there are more, there are more loose ends of people who don't know each other. And so, which means to me, it's hopeful because it means that the city's not a critical mass, you know, like there's more connections to be made uh, for of people to meet each other and to uh to to collaborate or create things together you know so um but the, you know it was great when I was doing that because I kind of had we live in like a subdivision out here in Greensburg so there's like this suburban vibe we're like five minutes away from cows and cornfields <laughs> which is this great rural vibe and you know we're a couple minutes away from Twin Lakes which is you know I take my kids out there and we walk walk the lake so we get some some nature in our lives and then at the time being able to drive 45 to an hour into Pittsburgh and feel that urban. It kind of felt like the best of all worlds, right? Yeah. And now I'm in Greensburg every day, which uh, has an urban vibe. You know, it's it's a smaller, it's significantly smaller than a Pittsburgh. But um, but like I said, man, there's lots of people doing interesting things. And um, the, the interesting thing about a, a, a city the size of Greensburg um, is that it, it takes everybody pushing in the same direction. You know what I mean? Like if if somebody 
who owns a restaurant or a local shop or who puts on concerts if, if one of those people stop there's this huge void and and where like in pittsburgh or in chicago in a larger city there's somebody odds are not always but odds are there's somebody that's willing to come fill that vacuum where in a smaller city like at greensburg um or i mean butler beaver washington like all of these auxiliary towns around pittsburgh um it really it's it's as good as the people who are who are active yeah you know, i mean institutions who are active and you talk about leaving a legacy kind of you know for your kids my grandfather was a singer and it's crazy like how he sang in the supper clubs and everything and i have a couple of his records but there's nothing like you know ingrained online which i wish i had that so that has to be a great dynamic to just involve your kids and all that and just all of your travels and things that you've learned that you've learned uh it, it sounds i mean you were a you were a school teacher but it sounds like you're in the best place to be working with this nonprofit because you know, you're very community oriented. And I think we need that community as uh, an artist uh, community, as a musician community, there's a lot of comparison. And there's a lot of that kind of stuff that goes on. And I just feel like you have a great heart for that. Yeah, man, it's interesting, because there is like, um, there is this collaboration over competition thing. And like, inherently, in the arts, um, I feel like a lot of people do have like a competitive edge to them. And I, and I respect that. And like, there's times where I'll hear somebody drop an awesome song and I'm just like, let me, like, give me a swing, you know? Like, I don't know if you ever watched any, like the early Dylan documentaries, but there's this great scene in one of those early Dylan documentaries where Dylan's hanging out with Donovan and Donovan plays him a song and he's like, oh yeah, that's cute. And then he plays like, it's all over now, baby blue or something like that. Like he just drops this bombshell yeah. of a song. And, uh, and it, I, the way I saw it was like, oh, this was Dylan being like, I got you. Like it's a, a little one-upmanship, but I feel like in the eye of creativity, there's a, there's a good thing. It's kind of like the beach boys and the Beatles. There's, you know, they, they were th like, they were each kind of responding to each other's records in the late sixties. Um, and not, not quite a, a one-upmanship, but a, like a, a high watermark, you know, I think that exactly. it's, a, it's like wrestling with yourself and use looking at other people as a, as a point of, of inspiration to push yourself. You know, I've always prided myself on being the least talented person in the room. Uh, for me personally, I think if I, when I had a band in Chicago, um, I was without a doubt the least talented person in the room. Um, and uh, I just, it, it, I was, I had enough, uh, enough sense or enough talent for those people being, to be willing to be there. But uh, I had tons to learn, you know, so it's a real humbling position to be in. So what kind of music were you playing in, in this band? Like, what was it called? Is it, is it okay to revisit those days? You know what I mean? Yeah. I, you were telling me before we got on, like some of the bands you opened for, why don't you like share some of those stories about what it was like coming up? So in, in 2000 and in 2000, so like large benchmarks in 2002, my mom passed away. I was in my twenties. That kind of knocked me on my ass. And, uh, and as I was recovering from that grief, um, I had been songwriting in college. I had like a third wave, a, a pretty bad third wave ska band that was happening in the 90s. And then when my mom passed away, it kind of added a weight to the things I was writing. And so that I kind of kind of consider that like the the beginning of what I call what what I play out as Adam Fitz. My name is Adam Fitzgerald Seifert. So I play out as Adam Fitz. That was kind of when I branded myself as Adam Fitz and started writing songs that some of which I still play today. Mm -hmm. um, 
So started cataloging songs. I met my longtime collaborator, friend Eddie Dixon, when we both worked at Tower Records in Chicago. Oh, and, wow. um, and then in 2003, I think, I gave some demos that I had made uh, to my friend, uh, Mike Corcoran, who was in a band called Deals Gone Bad, who's like a third wave or a, um, like a traditional reggae ska band out of Chicago. And uh, I bet that your boy from the Solios would know who they are. <laughs> oh, he's probably listening right now. Just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so Mike Corcoran and I worked for two years on a record that came out in 2005. And that was just kind of like, I had the songs and, um, and we would bring musicians in and it was kind of like a really elaborate, almost four track kind of recording where we were just, I would lay down bass tracks. We would just layer stuff on that album parlayed into me convincing people to sign on and be part of a band. Wow. And that was, um, so that was uh, pretty much five guys over a, a decade, a bass player named Chris Merrill. Um, my guy, Eddie Dixon, who plays a little bit of everything, but he mostly played keyboards and guitar and him and I are still working together. He, um, mixed and, um, and finished this record that's coming out in July. How great me. is it to have a friend like that? Just real quick. Just like, just, it's, it is such an worth, asset. It, it's just worth its weight in gold. He's, he's like, I met him in, in 2000, 1999 when I worked at Tower Records and, uh, and it, it's been the most fruitful, um, relationship of my life problem i mean like obviously my wife and my kids but like yeah. creatively it's without a doubt been the most fruitful um he's just i mean him and i even when we butt heads we're you know we're like brothers so um, that's what that's what dan blake and i are like we have that relationship I so i love I definitely it. So, vibe with that sorry so yeah so eddie dixon on everything but mostly keys and guitar and then uh we switched between i had a drummer named dan salyers who played with me for a good bit and then uh, when he wasn't around, Anthony Avenanti would play. So, and Anthony and Chris, the bass player, actually played in a dub reggae group called the Drastics. So, we, there was like a, a, a dub reggae rhythm section. Um, but we were basically playing like my songs. So, some sad sad waltzes, some folk stuff, some like pop pop punky sort of things, some straight pop things. Some, and we kind of got into some groovy things at times. Like it was, it was a little eclectic. Um, but it was me fronting and I was still learning how to sing and learning how to be a front person. Um, so we did that from 2000, like I said, the lineup changed a little bit, but basically from 2005 until 2008 or nine, we kind of laid back a little bit and I went back to school to be a teacher. Um, and then right before, like about a year or two before we moved to, to, um, to Greensburg here, uh, things started to pick up a little bit. So we did a couple things, but like 2005 to 2010, we were pretty busy and we did, we had friends who were in, had a work for production companies in Chicago. So we got some pretty interesting gigs, um, like playing on the river walk down in Chicago. And, wow. um, you know, I had a friend who was in the soul scene. So we got to back up uh, this, uh, this old soul singer named Ralph soul Jackson. Um, and, uh, I actually got to play on his record and, uh, and then, you know, with that, we got to open for Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings in the Park West and um, just some ridiculous situations. Open, open up for Smash Mouth on the 4th of July out in some suburb uh, around Chicago. Insane. And, um, you know, playing play the street, the first of like five bands in a street festival. When we played, there was nobody there. And by the time Spoon played at 7, 30, 8 o'clock, there was, you know, 10,000 yeah. people or something like that. That's know? crazy. I <laughs> Every time I've been in Chicago, I've played in Evanston, um, Schaumburg, where else have I played? Like suburbs, but then I played in the West Loop. I played at uh, the City Winery a few years ago. Man, I love Chicago. I would I would have to say of all the cities I've been to, that's probably my favorite city 
that in Cleveland, the people just are there to listen to music. I, I just feel like there's this ear in like, from what you're saying, like, I don't really know the music scene, but it sounds like really versatile. So, you know, coming up with all that, I, I, I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's just such an asset. Oh, without it. I mean, like you were talking about the, the community in Pittsburgh, which is amazing. And I've been blessed to be able to make a lot of friends and um, meet yeah, a lot it's of still people. growing though. It is. And, but it's like, yeah, man, it's, it's still growing for sure. Um, and it's, it's an ever evolving thing, you know, like people come up, they blow up, they stay up or they move on, you know, like, or that, you know, and then they fracture and reform in different ways. It's just, it's so beautiful the way that it works. And I think that Pittsburgh probably is a little bit more fragile of an ecosystem than in Chicago, but I still think that Pittsburgh, like, I love the energy in Pittsburgh and, and I love what's happening here. Like I'm, I'm a, a, a big fan of what's happening here in, uh, in southwestern Pennsylvania. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, I think you might have just got lucky in finding listening rooms because, you know, there's That's a it. way – there's a way certain rooms just, like, have a listening vibe. I mean, you know, you could play Club Cafe and it would be a rock show and nobody would give a damn. And you could go there on another night when it's a kind of a, a more intimate show and people would be zoned in. So it's a matter of how the space is built. That's really the only listening room we have. But, like, if somebody's at the bar talking to their friend, it ruins the whole thing. You know, and, and I just feel like I, that's what Pittsburgh needs. We need a dedicated listening room or, like, this is the rock portion of town. This is the rap portion of town. This is the arm. You know, like, Nashville's very much segregated with their music, uh, you know, genres in the different parts of town, west, east, south, whatever. It's funny, though, because I feel like the push in Pittsburgh is to – try to eliminate some of those walls. Like in, in all the conversations that I've heard, it's been more about, you know, I mean, I, I think back to like early Lollapaloozas in the, in the very early nineties when it was like Cypress Hill and the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Jane's Addiction and Funkadelic. And like, it was just like when there's just these weird conglomerations of, of everything, you know? Um, and, but I hear what you're saying about specializing. There's definitely something saying. to be said for what you're saying. I mean, I've done – my earlier shows were like that, and I come to found that it's not about the style of music that's on stage. If the fan is just a general fan of music, they're going to want to be involved no matter what. However, like, if I want to go and see some type of music, sometimes I feel like I, – I, I feel lost, or I just I, – I don't know. It, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just so You need tough a curator. You need a Maybe. curator. I feel like the media doesn't help either. I, I just feel like they put the same, like, five people sometimes, like – you know, the Clarks and I, the Clarks are great, but I just feel like they've, when you're a Pittsburgh famous band, it's like, you're kind of in this weird stuck place. And I feel like in Chicago, it's, it's not like that. It's like, you would think that Nick, is but it, it like is. that? It, it is the it same is. thing. It is. Yeah. I mean, it is. I mean, it is. <laughs> okay. So like, yeah. I, cause at the end of the day, Nick, like there, there are places where you can, you can put on a band, right. And you can say, Hey guys, check these out. Like, I feel like, I mean, on a tiny scale, like what the, that concert series you came out to Greensburg to play was, Hey, if I can get people in these seats and I can put great entertainment on the stage, then these people like creating a space where as the entertainer, the audience is yours to lose. Right. Like I, I opened up for Richard Buckner at club cafe a couple of years ago mm. and the crowd was mine to lose. If I didn't bring it for the first song or two, 
they would have turned and started talking to their friends, right? And I, whether or not I brought it, you know, that sounds cocky. Yeah. But, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I had to earn it. Like, they, they gave me the benefit of the doubt for a song or two. And if I could keep them, then I have them until I lose them. But if I don't bring it in that first song or two, then they're going to turn and start talking to their buddies and it won't turn into a listening room anymore. So as, okay. as a promoter, you can create, try to create a space where you say like, Hey, I vouch for this person. But at the end of the day, really what it's, it's the music business, right? So yeah. like if the Clarks put asses in the seats, <laughs> then they're going to, then you're going to book them. Right. I mean, all those bands, like, and I've, I've felt that like when you want to get an awesome opening gig, right. You're like, oh, this band's coming through town. I love them. I want to open for them. There's a reason you want to open for them. One is because you have an, you like what they do and you'd like to have access kind of to them and you like to them to see you ideally and you want access to their fan base. And you like this, yeah. becoming, being an opening act is, is, is more taking than it is giving. Oh, yeah. To be an opening act, to be a, a, a great opening act, you either need to like bring a show that like, people are going to be talking about right so you're either going to bring like this crazy show or bring people like mm -hmm. if if you can bring i promise you there's a band that brings 100 people that gets booked as an opener before me who brings two or ten yeah right so there is a business to it and so i, I will i will i felt that i know what you're saying you're on both sides now because because i mean you curated that whole lineup last year for what a week and i thought you did an amazing job and i'm i know you had a team of people probably behind you as well helping out with everything and but but you're an artist as well so like you know you're you're in both worlds I, that's just a different like i i mean i book venues and like try to bring people in my my worst nightmare is that nobody's ever going to show and thankfully people too <laughs> but i it's it's a hard burden to have as an as an artist with these with these numbers you know and everything but i just feel like getting back to the song like that's what kind of saves it. I mean, yeah, like you could have a hundred people and in a show and, and that's great and all, but like if your music's not good, what does that mean? It's just a good night. For sure. I mean, and the goal is to keep having a bunch of good nights, right? Yeah, but, exactly. but most, even most touring bands, it'll be like awesome night in Nashville on a Saturday. We played to 500 people and then like, shitty night in louisville on a monday roller coaster <laughs> yeah roller coaster <laughs> oh man so tell me about these records because they're behind you and uh i follow you on tiktok as well and you do album of the week and it just seems like you're never going to run out of an album to to feature or a song from an album and you like you play it as well so like you're really grinding uh in everything i don't know how you have the time like i said with kids and just everything you're just you're killing it though like so, you know, tell me about, like, how, I mean, Tower Records, like, you've said that twice now. I, I'm just, I mean, I watched the documentary on that a couple of years back, and it was an empire. It's just amazing to see how the decline of, you know, sales ended with, with online and everything. But uh, records are making a comeback, so. Yeah, man, I, so I, I've always been intrigued by media, and i always been, you know, we were talking before we rolled about um, – the 80s and early 90s and like baseball card culture and things like that yeah. and so i've always been intrigued with collectible kind of things and just physical items like i can still my dad had a record collection um and so you know that was some of my early exposure to music my dad would dub a, a record onto a cassette for me so that was like a part you know my parents weren't players but they were appreciators mm -hmm. of music um so i grew up in a household with Motown music as well as like John Prine and Joni Mitchell. Um, so 
I've always cared about that. And then like 90s, that kind of turned into CDs. And then, you know, coming up in the 90s, being into like ska and punk and that sort of stuff and all this indie things, that was all CDs. And then, um, so I was, just, I mean, like one of my first jobs um, was at Best Buy because, and I was working in like the CD section in Best Buy. Um, just, in, I've always been intrigued by that side of things. And, and I'd seen people in Chicago that have, had taken record store jobs and, and parlayed that into industry jobs, you know? Oh, wow. And, and so in like the mid 2000, 2004, I think I got a job at this really amazing um, independent record store um, in Lincoln square. It's right across the street from the old town school of folk music in Chicago. Um, and it's called planet of sound. Um, so I worked there for about five years and that's where like the, my, my addiction with record collecting started. Um, okay. And it was kind of, so it was kind of an interesting, like art overlapping of art and commerce, if that makes sense. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, what record can you buy for $5 because it's worth seven and you love it and you got a deal. And what record can you buy for $5 because you think you could sell it for 10, <laughs> you know, like, and then, and what record would you pay $30 for because you just need to freaking have it, you know? <laughs> oh man. I, <laughs> How and, and you just get to know an artist so much better or a band so much better when you're listening to the record. And I mean, you talked about the Beach Boys too. And Brian Wilson, he was quoted in saying this at some point, but you know, he did say how the Beatles, you know, like he was he was going to release his record. I think it was like around the same time or right before the Beatles, but he didn't. I, I he he claims that he had Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts before they had it or something and like waited too long to release it like the same sounds and things like but even like the live sounds back then like you don't get that now everybody's going for perfection the records are what you know live recorded like i watched this john Led lennon on netflix that that and he literally was telling them what chords to play in the room the the guys and they all sat in a circle never heard the song before and you know the the songs from imagine are just legendary and records hold magic in them i just feel like for sure and I, like i said i i love the physical format of things but like i probably i consume probably 90 percent of my music in spotify quite honestly because right. i'm on the go and that's that's fine um but i love holding the record and, and trying to think about how to engage with it earlier this year i did start the album of the week and I, that was an awesome process and i got some work things popped up that got overwhelming and then I didn't have that extra little stamina to do the research, to look, to try to figure out the songs and like, cause I have, I don't have a good ear. Like I, I love music, but I don't have, I'm not somebody who can just hear a song and pick it out. So my, my default is I go to ultimate guitar tabs and I just look up the chords and I listen to it and do my best to approximate. That's kind of, I, I say I, I paint in broad strokes, right? So uh, I'm not about perfection or paying tribute to. I'm about approximation and um, and kind of understanding the, the bones of it, you know. Um, and so I did that. I think I did like five or six records. And um, it's something I'd like to start doing again. It was awesome for practice. And what I loved most about it is when I, what I was doing is actually um, I'd go on Facebook every couple nights a week and go live and just like struggle in front of a live camera and just play play songs just play songs bad and it's funny because like what i did is I, I i put it like this so i couldn't see the screen so i put the screen away so whether there was zero people watching or a hundred there was never a hundred at most it was 10 
but whether there was zero or 10 people watching, you know, I wasn't able to engage and say hi to them, but I also never had a feeling about like, nobody's watching. Like I was like, this is for me. And it was, it was more of an accountability piece. Yeah. You know? And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I've loved, like, I, I love the idea of content creation though, you know, before that TikTok thing in, in 2019, 18, beginning of 2000 or like the end of 2018, but all of 2019, I, I started a, um, I had done a web series called for a song. And that was kind of where I, I started branching out into the Pittsburgh music scene by reaching out to different musicians through Facebook or Instagram and asking them to collaborate on a song with me. And then we'd record a song that they picked as a duet on my iPhone and I'd edit it and put out one of those a week. Uh, I ended up doing almost 50 episodes of that. Um, And uh, so that was kind of like, you know, when you talk about the Pittsburgh scene, like that was the beginning of me. I mean, you, you play solo most of the time, right? Yeah. I have band members when I do the bigger shows and they just play behind me. Um, Yeah. I've, I've, I've changed members, you know, here and there, but basically the same guys. And, uh, but, but most of the time, 85% of the time solo. Yeah. But like, so, you know, that when you play solo, it's, it can start to feel pretty lonesome. <laughs> Maybe you don't. Oh, completely. Maybe no, I, I, I would love for the guys in my band to tour with me, but they have kids and jobs full time. So it's like, I, I mean, there's, there's, it, there's just that connection. And I, I mean, I have a picture on my desk that I keep and it's like from club cafe and like, we're all smiling and I don't yeah. do that when I'm alone. I don't, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's not that I don't smile, but I just feel like, especially, you know, the bar gigs, man, they can just be draining. But then again, I love the solo vibe too, like a listening room or something. I live for that. You know, my original music being played. So. Absolutely. But you know, I was in 2017, I think I played about 60 shows and probably 55 of them were just at a farmer's market or in a bar playing for a long time, other people's yeah. songs. And, um, and so I had just gotten into that guy, Gary V and I was like, cool, how do I start like building community and, you know, getting a chance to collaborate with people because I'm playing by myself, you know? And, even, and when you do those bar gigs, you're not opening for somebody. No. You're just playing all night and then loading out by yourself. Like you're not even intermingling with people, you know, who opened or you open for them. So, I started doing that and I already had some friends that I had met kind of through like the acoustic cafe scene. And then just, um, you know, that was kind of the, the starting point, the welcome mat for me in, in Pittsburgh was I discovered that um, acoustic cafe over at Mr. Small's Funhouse mm-hmm. and started going to that occasionally. And yeah, then, like Monday nights, it used to be, I think. It's yeah. Well, I mean, pre pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had actually finally gotten to host one of them in early 2020. I had, I had tried for so long to be a host on one of them and I finally got my chance to host in early 2020. And then look what happened. Yeah. That's why I started the podcast and, you know, recording from home and things like that. But what are these songs about, man? You said you've had, you've been sitting on them for a while, but like, is there, is there new ones? What's the process like? You're just playing guitar and singing. Yeah, man. So this, this batch of songs, so it kind of, I'm, I'm somebody who's always kind of begged, borrowed, and stolen my way into recording, right? So it's been a lot of friends cutting me a, a, a package rate or something, you know, like just, um, again, just having community, having supportive people who are like, no, nah, man, I'll bet on you. And uh, so this record, it was just a conglomerate of all these different opportunities that came up. So like, 
I had this buddy named Dan Dietrich, um, and he he ran the studio that was associated with Columbia College in Chicago. Okay. Um, and it's called Wall to Wall, and it was an old studio that this, there was like a stage with an orchestral pit, and it was wall to wall carpeting. Just a surreal place, man. And we cut a live record in there in 2007, I think. Um, so we brought in an audience, got a keg, you know, sold tickets. We thought we'd like make our money back on the studio time. We did not, but it was a fucking blast, and it was a it was a good time. And eventually, two years later, we actually released that live record, which is not on Spotify because it's about half covers, but like Leonard Cohen covers and um, just weird, obscure, not hit covers. So he was associated with Columbia College, and he would teach a class every semester for the college kids and he would need subjects and so a couple of these songs started because he'd be like hey i, I have a, a monday or tuesday night class coming in next week you want to come be our subject and so we would start like you know i get you a just buddy. took all your clothes off in front of the room and they painted you or no right piano and they would set up microphones and paint our or the our oral uh, <laughs> yeah right so a couple songs started like that, like just um, me and one of my buddies going in there and doing some duo stuff, um, you know, just getting those. And then he would give me the tracks afterwards. And, you know, it was the kid's job to like do a rough mix of the songs that was part of the class, but we would just take the tracks. And then. Um, That's awesome, man. My first year finishing teaching, I uh, there's this other studio in Chicago called Strobe Studios. And they had this like singer songwriter competition. <laughs> and, um, so like my last day teaching my very first year, I drove from my school on the South side to, um, Humboldt park and, uh, played a couple songs and somehow won this battle of the bands or this, this singer songwriter competition. And so that got me like a half day recording time. So I called some buddies who were in the soul band. I said, Hey, we should cut some songs. So we went in there and cut three songs. Um, if for this half day, got those tracks. Um, and then there was another like odd like thing. And then I had these, these random things. And I called my buddy, Mike Corcoran, who did the first record. And I was like, Hey, I've got these little like par portions of songs. Would you just help me like put them together? Just like, we'll put out an acoustic record. Like, would you just help me like finish these? And he was like, oh, yeah, just come to the studio. I'll help you finish them. And then I was like, you know, I've got these other two songs that are like, they wouldn't take a lot of work, you know? Yeah. And he's like, all right, cool. Like call in the rhythm section. Let's do that. And then like, Next thing you know, there's like 13 songs or something we're working wow. on. Wow, you know, would you say it's folk rock? Man, that's it's it's. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a singer songwriter record. Yeah, it's Americana music. You know, okay. that's kind of like I call it like blue eyed soul folk. Like at the end of the day, it's just Americana music, right? God, I it's love it. I lot, love it. A lot of a lot of like country and roots vibes, but like some like chuggy like pop like power poppy sort of stuff too. Um, I think my voice kind of ties it all together. So like basically my buddy Mike was like, yeah, man, like we're kind of at this point where I don't even know what to do with this stuff anymore. So I just took the hard drive from him and I mailed it down to Mississippi, my buddy Eddie Dixon. And he finished up some things like, all right, we released that single. We did this, we did that. And then we just, he's just like, he, he's just a magician when it comes to, to Sonic things and he plays everything. So he somehow took nine of the songs and we agreed on and he just added the little things that needed to be added and uh mixed them in a way that i think i think it holds together as an album so it's relationship stuff i, I write often write songs about um 
growing up or growing old or the in- inevitability of dying. So, you know, let's, let's have fun now because it's all going to end at some point. <laughs> sort of That's it, yeah. The whole record was recorded in Chicago or in Mississippi. I wanted it to be a 2020 release, but I didn't even know what to do with it last year. And so we sat on it. And uh, it'll come out this July, July 16th, I think it's going to be the date. Like you're talking about the spontaneous way that like you're sending a hard drive down to Mississippi and it was recorded in Chicago and you're living in Pittsburgh, like, and you're, you're self-titling it, Adam Fitz, and, and that's you. And that's, it's amazing to hear how the story combines the songs of your life. And uh, I'm, I'm super excited to hear that, but it's definitely envious that, you know, you're able to get that out and it sounds like some vulnerable work. Yeah, man, it's a it's a trip. <laughs> the yeah. the very first song is a. It's funny. I, I have this this thing I say when I play songs now because a couple of years ago I wrote a song for my wife for her birthday. So I I play that song out often, and I say this is a song I wrote for my wife. And then I I often play the song which is the first song on this self titled record uh, called "She Always Catches Me." I usually play it within a song or two after that, and I'll say the last song was a song I wrote for my wife. This is a song I wrote about my wife, and it's a, a very different thing. So, you must be in love, man, because that's a hard thing to do. I wrote the first song. Um, you know, I feel like when you have a girlfriend or a partner or something, you know, they're always like, "When are you going to write a song about me?" And, and it's, <laughs> it's harder. It's easier said than done. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. It's it's funny though because like there, there's this trope that happens in American lives where like. Um, you know, the old ball and chain sort of thing. And so the song I wrote about my wife kind of plays on that trope. So the first line is, she, the first line of the album is, she don't pay me no mind when I'm naked, standing here before her in the flesh. So. <laughs> so. Wow. I mean, the perspective, again, I, you know, I, I look up to that. I, I just think like, you know, you've already told us, in this interview about all the things you've been through, you know, from, from loss to parenthood to marriage. And like, those are things that we all go through. So how can people not connect with that? that that's super, uh, in, in, you know, encouraging to be able to hear that, that people are making music like that. I just heard the Justin Bieber song, whatever the newest one is, and he'll probably have another new one in after <laughs> we record this, but, uh, it wasn't peaches, was it? Cause that's yeah, yeah, it was peaches, man. It's a jam, but what the hell is it about drugs? Like, what? It, it's yeah. a jam, but what are you sacrificing? You know what I mean? Like, I'm such a lyrical person that they, I just wish more people appreciated lyrics. You know? Yeah, man. It's a. It that's interesting. I think it's about like you know how like there's all these different social media sites and you're in a different mind space when you go to them. Yeah. So like. I'm in a different MySpace when I'm on Facebook to Instagram to LinkedIn to Twitter Easily. to whatever. And I think it's the same thing. Like that song is a jam and it doesn't have to be thoughtful. You know what I mean? That, that, that feeds a certain thing. There, there's a need for a salad, a soup, a meal, and a dessert. Apples right? and oranges. And, yeah. So it's like, I hear what you're saying, but there's like, there's different, uh, different emotions. Well, but yeah. There's and, so much and, emotion and, behind your type of music, you know? Man, I try, but it's like, I, I also like, as I mentioned earlier, like my parents raised me on John Prine. So like, even, oh, even in a place where it's the heaviest song, there, there needs to be a wink. There needs to be a lev- some levity. There needs to be um, a spark of hope, you know? And it's funny that the first song on this record, she, she always catches me. It's about 45 seconds long. Right. And it's just this tiny, tiny little song never even really gets up and going. And, um, uh, when I wrote it at first, I sent a demo of it to my friend Eddie, 
who I've mentioned a million times. And uh, he was like, yeah, dude, I get it, but it's pretty fucking bleak. Like, he was <laughs> like, dude, it's like, he's like, that's, man, there's got, like, it needs one, like, it's, it's too much. You know, it's like, it's too on the nose. And so, like, the very, very last line, I twisted a little bit. And, uh, and, I, and I just add a splash of hope to it. And he was like, that's it. And it was, I added wow. six seconds to the song, one line. And he was just like, that, that one thing saves it. Now it's not bitter. Now it's, it's, it's hopeful. There's this, wow. there's, you know, and there's a songwriter I love, Joe Henry, if you haven't heard him. Okay, no, yep. He is, he is married to Madonna's sister. Of course, okay. And he met her in Michigan. But, um, and he wrote, he wrote a song that she had a hit with, um, Don't Tell Me. Oh, okay. Um, don't tell me love isn't true. It's just something that we do. Um, which is an amazing lyrical song. Um, and uh, but he talks about how he he won't let a song call it finished until there's hope in it. You know, like until hmm. there's a dash of hope. It can't just be all bludgeoning and and darkness. You know, well, wow. well. But I think that the best songs have a little bit of everything. So there's there's like the joy and the pain and the humor in life, you know, so it's, it can touch on all of the parts of the human experience. And, and then, but there's certain songs that like, they're like a love song that, that just focuses in and it's just like hyper focused on like, this is just a sliver of this singular emotion. Like there are songs that are singularly angry that don't touch on joy or humor. Right. But I, I think the best songs, bring all elements of the human experience into it, which is why I had talked about like John Prine, or even when he's talking about like the song Sam Stone is about a junkie, a war veteran who came back to become a junkie, but there's still humor in it, you know, like there's still redemption and hope. Wow. And uh, so, you know, those are the best songs I think, but sometimes you just need a barn burner that says like, we're going to like float on, like we're all going to fucking win. I get my peaches in Georgia. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. I think one of the ultimate songs that I can think of, of what you're talking about that uh, encapsulates all of those emotions is Fire and Rain by James Taylor. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the, I mean, that's the song it's about. I've seen good things and I've seen bad things, right? Like, Yeah. What are like your top records that you own? Just like, as we're talking about this. Man, I fall back on like songwriter records. So like um, the, the very, probably the first John Prine record, some Tom Waits stuff, like Heart of Saturday, Heart of Saturday Night is like my favorite Tom Waits record. Mm. Um, for It's like, for him, I have to do like parts of his career. I love like the new band, this new band, The Front Bottoms. They've been oh, around man, for the yeah. last like 10 years. Like, and they're doing yeah. just like power pop punk stuff. And I just adore them. Soul stuff. Like I love Curtis Mayfield. Um, so it's just, it's all over the place for me, you know? Yeah. Have you always played guitar, by the way? Like, have, did you start when you were younger, maybe like playing an, another instrument, like the flute or what? I mean, I didn't, I, I pretty much always played guitar. Like early on, I, I, I just wanted to kind of be different. And so I tried to play banjo. Like I, for a little while, I took like claw hammer, five string banjo lessons. Uh, but I didn't have a passion for that music at the time. And so that didn't last long. And at the end of the day, like I just wanted to know enough to be able to write songs. Now I'm starting to feel frustrated about my limitations, you know, because like I can do what I can do, but I, I I don't I'm not that versatile. I have played guitar, bass, drums, and keys on stage before. In the mid 2000s, I actually played drums in this calypso band. Um, so I played drum kit in this 
uh, ridiculous party band. Um, and we did some cool and embarrassing things. It's fun to I, just sit back and kind of be an auxiliary member sometimes. I love it. And especially like if someone's going to let you do something you're not great at, like hell yeah. And, and yeah. you're not, and you're not taking away from the final product. You know what I mean? Like, no, yeah, it's not as stressful either. Well, we'll definitely, we need to look you up after this interview because you have tons of those, um, what you were telling what was the series called i'm sorry with the other uh oh, for, on, for a song yeah for a song definitely look that up on youtube because i know you did one with dan blake and i believe he was playing was he playing banjo no no we did two songs so i okay in, on my best days i would i would get people to commit to doing two songs we do yeah. them at the same time and then i'd release them over a couple of weeks so daniel he picked both songs that we did and we did your song by elton john and then um he also picked the song UFO by Coldplay, yeah. which I had never heard before and uh, blew me away. It was a great song. He, he has a great ear. I just, I'm just super grateful to know him again. And um, we can just finish up with, you know, tell me what it is like working in the Ballast Theater. I mean, you were showing me around when I was there. Like, that, it's just historic. And I, it just, it's immaculate when, you, when you're in there, like, looking at it. And uh, going from, you know, a, a kindergarten teacher to that, I guess what has it shown you about yourself and, and, and the, the ability for you to just be so versatile and like get to do something you love in, in any capacity? Yeah, man, it's been a trip since, since like when I used to come visit here with my wife before I lived here, before we got married, I would always be like intrigued with that building, you know, just like what, what's going on in there? What's, what's happening before I was even step foot in it. And then when I got to town, you know, I was like, what's, what's like the most obvious things happening here culture wise. And, um, there's this so there's summer concerts here called Summer Sounds that happens every Friday. It's been going on for 20 years. And then I was like, that or the palace? Like, I want to get involved. So I actually, um, the first time I was in the palace, I think I took my daughter, who at the time was like three or four, to see uh, Stage Rights production of Little Mermaid. Mm. And we saw that. And it's just, it's a breathtaking space. Uh, then I, I actually volunteered and became an usher there for a couple months because I was just like, how do I get involved with this organization? How do I... And so uh, I was an usher for a little while. I worked like the Paul Schaefer show, which was surprisingly amazing. Um, I saw Robbie Krieger from The Doors, Buddy Guy. You know, I just, I think doing for a song, uh, I started building community and um, trying to build just like online presence and con using content as a way to build community and just to practice new skills. The more you diversify your creative portfolio, you know? Yeah. Um, and then if you do that in a, collaborative way like you're doing it inherently um doesn't necessarily but it has the opportunity to open doors you know and that's what people need to do i feel like a lot of people just coming up don't have the balls like simply put like just like you said like learning from experience is the best way to do it there's a guy that i follow named david Meltzer, and he talks about 50 no's right he yeah. says if and i don't know you maybe you heard this but he says if somebody told you that you would get your dream after you got 50 no's, like the 51st question you ask would be a yes. You would be geeked to get your first no. Yeah, because you're working your way up to 51. Right, because you'd be, you'd be excited to get 40 no's because you knew you were on your way to a yes, right? So you'd keep asking because you knew there was something on the other side of that. Now, there is no guarantee that eventually there will be a yes. Yeah. However, the more you ask and get no's, the higher your your potential is to eventually get a yes because you're asking more people. And I'm I'm struggling with this right now in my 40s 
And I've, this is part of my DNA. This is something that I, I believe to my soul and I'm still struggling with it is setting your sights, setting your expectations, knowing what your version of success is. Mm. And in 2009 and 10, when I went back to school to be a teacher, I decided that my version of success was how can I play music for as long as possible? How can I have this in my life for as long as possible? Because you, you, you know, and you'll see more as you age that all these kids that you came up with who played music, you will slowly start to see so many of them fall off. Yeah. And, and it, it might be because they get other shit that happens. It might be because it wasn't realistic because there was something that happened in their life. But some of them are going to be like, if I can't be Kurt Cobain, if I can't make a living on this, if I can't be famous, if I can't get all the cool gigs, then I don't even want it. And you'll find those lifers, you'll find the diehards, because there'll be the people in their 50s who had those couple little touches with success who are still doing their shit because they're, that's their life. They've made a yeah. choice. You know, so like to me, that was my choice I made was like, how can I do this for as long as possible? And don't get me wrong. I would love for everyone to go check out my record and love it and download it and share it with their friends. I would love for it to, to make waves and be huge, but it probably won't. And that's fine because ideally I'm going to keep writing new songs and keep releasing music or keep playing in the bars and just keep doing this and having some kind of impact in music and having letting music have an impact on my life. And, and I do think that like in 2017, when I started gigging out, parents will often abandon their dreams in, in the wake of having kids because mm. of their responsibility. And don't get me wrong. Sometimes some people have to, there's, there's, there, you have yeah. to, you have to care for your family without a doubt, but some people don't have to. And and I think that we model as a, as a society. So many of us model to our kids that when you have kids, you give up your dreams. Singing is something I used to do before I had kids. Mm. Playing out is something I used to do and not something I do actively. And so, yes, while sometimes it's, it's oftentimes it's an inconvenience for my wife and my kids for me to go play a bunch of gigs, like that's going to be a pain in the ass. But my kids are going to be like, no, like if you want something, you can go get it. For sure. And, and that perspective is amazing. Sure. Anyway, man, it's been a great conversation. Your record comes out July 16th. Uh, 16th. Adam Fitz, follow him on Instagram. And you, you write great poems. My girlfriend was just telling me she loves your poems and your pictures and everything. Super creative, like super great conversation today for this podcast that I just feel like anybody is going to um, learn from, whether you're a musician or a, a, just a, a civilian. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Yeah, man. I just have like one last question for you and uh, two questions. So like number one, if you were 10 years old and you had a dream, what would it be? And like looking back, do you feel like that was like naive or did you always want to be a musician? You know, at 10 shit, man, I don't know what I wanted to be at 10. All right. Like 15. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would say that like for a long time, I wanted to write songs. Um, so like, you know, it's always been in, I've always loved the idea of like show businessy things, whether that's the writing the songs, the like trying to put on shows. Like I was always like in, in enthralled with like the production of things. So like, you know, being blessed coming from 
Chicago where there's lots of different opportunities. Uh, there's like all ages venues. So like, you know, my buddy would work booking this venue. So I would always like beg him to get a night so I could ask bands to come play. You know, I love that, that ability to put something together. Mm. Um, and so, uh, or like, be an A&R person for a label, something like that, just to be able to be like, yeah. that's awesome. How do I let more people, how do I help them or let more people know about that thing? Wow. Yeah, it sounds like you're doing it. <laughs> I mean, everybody has a place. I mean, in 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 music, there's so many places you can be, but like you're, you're, you're reaching so many people that I feel like you know, and <laughs> not just musically, but you, you have this network that, I mean, you're doing it. So props, man. I appreciate it, man. It's, a, it's besides a that superpower. What would your favorite superpower be? Um, I think probably fly, man. It'd be pretty cool to fly places. That would scare the heck out of me. When people say that, it just like scares me. I don't know why. I feel like I'm gonna run into like a plane, or I'm gonna get freaked out if I'm too high and like you gotta, land. You gotta, you gotta phase that shit up. You can't. You gotta practice. Right. I just Take- need to move to Colorado and just like marijuana like no, medical bro, marijuana. It's, it's, here's the thing it's not about jumping out of the window it's about taking off from the ground you know what Ooh, i mean yeah <laughs> i i would be invisible yeah that would be a good one i just feel like i have anxiety sometimes and also the, i could just go to a Steeler game for free or uh, <laughs> the option to be invisible like the option yeah 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 no i wouldn't always be invisible <laughs> just turn it on and off but if you can fly dude you just like you just fly and float right down into you know into an empty seat at the uh at the stadium you can still get into uh you could be hard to get into ppg yeah no but that is true i i didn't think of that man there's that, a realm that's a whole of visibility i think it's funny because it's it probably comes from the same place of like wanting to be seen but also wanting to have the ability to disappear so like you know, I think about that like in fighter. You know, it's funny the fight or flight. Yeah. Like, like quite literally flight. Like it'd be like, hey, this is a situation I don't want to be in. I want to get the fuck out of here. And you could go invisible and just disappear and be stealthy. That's it, man. Or okay. you could just fucking take off, right? Same I think thing. it probably comes from the same place. Probably that's probably our our artist mindset. And it's funny because they. I mean, I guess they can be both offensive and defensive. Um, those both of those superpowers. You know. Yeah. No, for sure. Because wow. there are more like offensive things, like being able to like summon fire or something like that, right? Like <laughs> there are certain things that like have less of a defensive, um, a less of a defensive power, more of an offensive power. That that's that's a great new perspective. So, yeah, man, <laughs> I I just think like maybe I'll look into flying. <laughs> like we have the option. Maybe one day when somebody's listening to this podcast in like twenty one twenty or something. They'll be like, those guys couldn't fly back then? Well, that's funny. I think both of those things would be able to be possible, right? Because I think we'll be, live so much in, like, a virtual world that all you have to do is, like, log off and you can be invisible, right? Like, if you just, like, don't oh, go yeah. on Instagram for a while or don't go onto uh, whatever your Facebook True. for a while, then you're just invisible there for a good bit. So that's, like, a thing. And then, I mean, shit, there's going to be jetpacks or something, right? Right. And I'm going to move into the middle of the woods and just put these podcasts on the cache or however you say it. And, like, just they're just going to upload themselves. And people are going to be like, Nick's been gone for three years, but he uploads every week. <laughs> What's up with that? Like, well, that's, I think that's about, like, curating where you're seen. You know what I mean? It's not oh, about, yeah. like, being, being there everywhere all the time. It's about saying, no, you can see me, but when I, when I want you to. 
I mean, you mentioned Gary Vaynerchuk. That guy, how the heck does that guy sleep? <laughs> but he has a team of people around. You know what I mean? Like he built an infrastructure, and he also, um, you know, he talks about when he when he's awake, he's he's working every second, and then yeah. he sleeps. So I think it's about quality over quantity. Perhaps he's just he's just Doctor. What, what's that movie coming out? Uh, Doctor Strange. Yeah. You can just like watch him read while he sleeps. Yeah. But uh, yeah. anyway, man, thank you for spending time with us, and I can't wait to uh, for people to hear your music. And again, just have a have a have a great release. I appreciate it, Nick. It's good to talk to you. Hopefully, uh, we can sit down and write a song together soon.